All right, it's time for children's dismissal. So if you are a kiddo and it's time for you to go learn and grow together with Miss Ann and Miss Bethany and the workers there, go have fun while we have fun in here. Well, good morning. In case we haven't met yet, I'm Steve Grissom, associate pastor here at Sashra Baptist. It's my privilege to preach the word this morning. Um, continue to pray for Pastor Cody and his family while they're away. I'm so thankful that Cody finished all of Romans 9 last week. And he did us a great favor. Fantastic message. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't done so. I want to wish you and your family a wonderful fourth for tomorrow. If you don't have any plans for tomorrow morning, there's the Hingham Road Race that literally just runs right past the church. Um, we've got a table. We're passing out water and oranges. And we'd love to have you come out and cheer on the runners. There may be a few scattering of grissoms in the race, and so you can cheer them on as well. So I hope you have a wonderful holiday tomorrow morning. Well, as you turn to Romans chapter 10, which I believe is on page 1004, I want to ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word believe? Perhaps it's a word that reminds you that goals can be achieved. It was a key word for the Red Sox in 2004. In case you didn't know, and there's probably maybe one or two, I'm sure you do, this was the year the Red Sox finally climbed the mountain, broke the mysterious curse on the team, and won their first World Series in 86 years. It was a special season and a special team. They believed in one another, and they believed they were able to win the World Series. They even had t-shirts and wristbands made up that said, Red Sox Nation, believe. That was the mantra in 2004. Well, in our passage today, Paul is emphasizing the same word, believe, but in a different context and connected not with a team and a championship, but with Christ and a relationship. So the message of Christ not only changed Paul's life, but it impacted his desires, his mission, and even his prayers, which we will see in Romans 10 this morning. My goal this morning is to fuel your affections, to call on Jesus Christ as Lord, to proclaim the message of Christ to those across the street and around the world. So let's read our chapter this morning. Yes, we're going to look at the whole chapter. I assure you we'll get out by noon. Romans 10. Let's read together. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this, do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. Lord, help us not to be a disobedient and defiant people, but Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to say, yes, Lord. Help us to call on Christ as Lord and as Savior. Father, give us understanding. Open our eyes to see. Soften our hearts to believe. And help us to leave here encouraged that we have heard from you today. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight. You are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer, and so we pray to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Romans 10. Paul writes, and he writes with a passion, and he prays outside of Corinth on his way back to Jerusalem. Paul was always traveling, he was always going places, and he wants to go to Spain via Rome. And his goal is not to see the tourist attractions, but for the gospel to continue to spread from nation to nation to nation, from people to people to people. He wants them to see the glorious gospel. He wants them to believe in the glorious gospel. Hear what Michael Byrd says about Paul's goal in writing Romans. He wants the Roman church on the side with the gospel message, but there's some division. There is some internal squabbling going on because a bunch of Jewish Christians have been expelled and then returned. He wants them to be united, all singing off the same sheet of gospel music. He is laying out his apostolic credentials in terms of his ministry and message, and he wants to help them out with the local issues they are facing. 
He sets out the gospel in theological depth. Romans is an exercise in gospelizing and putting the gospel out in theological depth. So he was wanting us to understand the beauty of the gospel, to sing together, Jew, Gentile, all people singing and rejoicing together. The first thing I want us to see this morning in the first few verses, and Cody's talked about this in the first nine chapters, but there was a misunderstanding of the gospel. The first point is gospel denial, righteousness through law. This was an understanding that some, have, some people had. They could achieve, attain a righteousness through the law. And so Paul is bold in stating what the gospel is. What did he say in chapter 1? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He knew his old way of life, his previous way of thinking. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's like Paul's saying, it saved me and God can save you. And so he's rejoicing, he's proclaiming the beauty of the gospel until he reaches a crescendo in Romans 15 of Jews and Gentiles singing and praising God together. So the gospel must be foundational to our faith, and this is what fuels Paul's prayer in verse 1. You can see how passionate he is as he's praying for others. You can hear his heart beating and leaping off the page as he prays for his fellow Jews. His prayer is for what? What's his prayer? We're going to go through this, not necessarily verse by verse, but section by section. And you can see his prayer in, in verse 1. His prayer is for their salvation, for them to know God through Christ. So he, of all people, understood life as a Jew. He understood their mindset. He knew where they were coming from. And he understood a life fueled for the Torah and by the law. So he prays for salvation of the Jews because they misunderstood the way to God. This is informative for us. This is informative for our prayers. Are we praying for our family, for our friends, to know the one true God? It's easy for people to talk about God, to, to call on God like he's a genie in the sky, or to use God as a good luck charm, but, to, but do we know the one true God. And if we do, we will pray. If we know the one true God, we will pray because God hears, He responds, and we will pray humbly and boldly and passionately for those we know who don't know God, who are not trusting in Christ. So Paul's concern in his prayer is based on the fact that the Jews have a zeal for God. They do have a zeal, but they lack knowledge. So, their uh, zeal is misplaced. It's not according to biblical knowledge in verse 2. This is where the gospel denial comes in. The Jews believe they could attain righteousness and a right standing through their obedience to the law. This is what verse th 3 is saying in essence. We take pride when we observe the law, especially if it makes us look good. Especially when we look, look, I'm not doing bad here. I'm obeying the law. It's like you, you're driving up to the speed limit sign. There's one on High Street. You know, I'm, I'm driving uh, 38. All of a sudden, now I'm driving 29 uh, just as I approach that sign. And then as soon as I pass that sign, I'm driving 38 again. You know, we think that we are obeying the law. So there are laws that exist. Now, don't tell, uh, don't tell Cody that. There are laws that exist for our good. 
And then there are laws that we create that seek to make us look good. Then there's just bizarre laws altogether. Here's a few I found recently. If a frog dies during a frog, ju frog jumping contest in California, it can't be eaten. In Indiana, liquor stores can't sell chilled water or soda. In West Virginia, it's illegal to use a ferret for hunting. Now you know. So there's all sorts of laws that we create or make that we want to make ourselves look good. But when we look to laws or our ability to keep the law as our source of salvation, what do we see? We miss the mark time and time again that we cannot obey it perfectly, even though we create self-centered rules and self-centered standards, we cannot achieve righteousness through our ability. This is what Paul points out in the book of Philippians. When we look inward to our ability, when we put our confidence in our flesh instead of in God who alone can save us, we are missing the point. We attempt to secure a righteousness of our own from the law. That's what Philippians 3 says. But there's only one true righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness obtained through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ alone. So this is where we turn. First point, gospel denial, righteousness through the law. Second point, gospel truth, righteousness through faith. Righteousness through faith. So Paul continues to plea for the Jews, the Jews he loved, the people he knew. He understood their desires, their motivations, their misdirected goals. So now in verse 4, verse 4 is key for the whole first section. Verse 4 makes it clear, Christ is the answer. Christ is the one who's our righteousness. Christ is the one who's fulfilled the law. He's the one to which our faith must rest in. He is the answer, he's the provider, he's the promise keeper, he's the end of the law for righteousness. This is what Paul is helping the Jews understand. Christ is our answer, provided we believe in him. So verse 4 is foundational for this chapter. It's also transitional for us as Paul get, begins to dive into more about the law. In verses 5 through 13, as Paul talks about the law, who better to quote than Moses, Mr. Law himself? So if we were to look at the first 13 verses or even the whole chapter, you see quote, quote, quote of the Old Testament, of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Over and over again, he's quoting Moses. Now to us, that might not be a big deal, but to the Jews, it's getting their attention. The light bulb is on. And so he quotes Moses in saying, the one who does these things will live by them. At first glance, I was, I was scratching my head. What is he pointing us to? What is he getting our, what is, what's this about? But the natural interpretation here seems to be that the way of salvation is by obedience to the law. That was Paul's frame of mind before he came to Christ. That's the way that uh, salvation came. But in Galatians 3 and here in Romans 2, Romans 10, we understand no one is justified before God by the law. Because if we look at ourselves, you and I cannot succeed perfectly. We are not obedient all of the time. And also, if we look earlier in Romans, we see righteousness can't come from the law because the law incites people to sin. 
Then Paul continues our walk through the Old Testament. He quotes, again, Deuteronomy three times. And I want to, I'm not going to point out all these different quotes, but I wanted to point out where he quotes from Deuteronomy 9.4. This is helpful for us when we read this, this statement when he says, Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? I'm like, what is Paul getting at here? What's he trying to get us to see? But this is from Deuteronomy. And this was a warning for Israel. This was a warning for Israel because they were assuming that the inheritance of the land was theirs based upon their own righteousness. That was Deuteronomy. So here Paul is saying, don't assume heaven is yours by your own righteousness. So Paul is giving his audience and he's giving us today a clear picture that righteousness is not based upon our ability. It comes from a humility, a humility that trusts in Christ. Then in verse 6, Paul points us to Christ's incarnation, his coming to earth. It shows not only his divinity, but also what's impossible, impossible for you and me to achieve. Paul asks the reader another question. Who will go down into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. I'm thankful for Paul's interpretation here in verse 6. He's pointing us to the resurrection. Listen to what Tom Schreiner says about this section. The wording here fits nicely with the conception of Jesus being raised from the dead. For the abyss was considered to be the netherworld from which the dead were raised. Both Romans 10, 6, and 7 should be interpreted together as an admonition warning people what they should not do. They should not seek to bring Christ down to the earth or raise him from the dead, for these things have already been done. They were accomplished by God for the sake of his people. Thus, the response called for is believing and not doing. This is a good summary of these two verses. So, the response to the message. What's our response to the message Paul is proclaiming? Our response to the message that we are following? Well, Paul tells us that the message is near you. The message is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. As I go through Romans 10, I felt like I knew this chapter pretty well. But then there's these different questions, these different sentences. I feel like I'm opening a fortune cookie, one after another. And I'm like, what is going on here, Paul? What on earth does this mean? The message is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Is he playing the hot, cold guessing game with us? I don't think so. Paul isn't playing around here. He's helping the believers understand the message sent from God. Or as he refers to it, the message of faith. Anytime there's a verse that you're not familiar with, you're a little bit stumped on, the best way to understand that verse, read right before it, read right after it. And so this is helpful for us as we look at this verse. The message, the message of faith that Paul proclaims and the message that should be on our lips is who Jesus is and what he has done. Paul outlines the message of faith for us. To know God is to confess Jesus is Lord. Not just to know about Jesus, but to know that He is Lord. To believe in the history-altering event when Jesus was raised from the dead. And Paul says, 
If you believe this message, the message of who Jesus is, who he says he is, that he is prophet, priest, and king, that he is Lord of all, you will be saved. So this is the message that is near us. This reminds me of a friend. Friend, My friend's name is Pierre. And Pierre was so zealous about his faith. He came to faith in Christ after a long camping trip. He was excited about his faith. He came back home. He went across the street. He wanted to tell his neighbor, his friend, about his newfound faith. And Pierre went to his friend's house. He starts telling him about Jesus. I think his friend had some questions about Jesus. This kind of frustrated Pierre. He wasn't planning for these questions. So uh, this may be a bit of a bizarre evangelistic tactic. He got his friend in a headlock and he said, Say Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Say it. Say Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. I don't know the outcome uh, there. Probably not the best method of evangelism. But he knew Jesus is Lord. And he wanted his friend to know that as well. So as we examine what is required of us as it relates to salvation, the conversation must begin with faith. After all, that's what Paul is referencing in verse 10 when he says, one believes with the heart. And what's the result? It results in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So you can hear Paul saying this old way of thinking, righteousness through the law, that's not the way. This is the way of thinking, believing in Christ, resulting in righteousness, and the result, salvation. So this is what Paul is emphasizing, faith, faith in Christ. What we believe reflects where our faith resides. Saving faith must be directed to the right object. We would do well to listen to Ronald Nash. He properly defines faith. Biblical faith finds its expression both in the objective content of the Christian gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the subjective feelings that indicate true heart transformation, trust, and sincerity. This is biblical faith, saving faith. Now this may sound a bit like scholarly stuff that doesn't matter, but let me assure you that it absolutely does. Many on the South Shore take inclusivism as their operating worldview that adopts the cultural definition of faith. What's the cultural definition of faith? It's a generic trust in whatever spiritual light may be available. Many people look to stones for healing, a guru for life coaching, or a new bestseller which will help us apply the latest trend to unlock our potential. That's cultural good news. That's not biblical good news. We are not believing in a force, in a higher power, or in humanity's goodness. Scripture reassures us in who our faith should rest in. What does verse 11 say? Where should our faith rest? Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. This is worth sharing. Jesus Christ can save. He can save Jews in Romans 10. He can save non-Jews, you and I. He can save today. The Bible makes it clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. So let me encourage you this morning that if you've never called on the name of the Lord, if you're not sure of your relationship with Christ, if you're not united to Christ, talk to me, talk to Pastor Mike after the service. We want to show you that you can be saved today by trusting in Christ alone. Look with me how the passage transitions. You can see Paul's heart as he writes. He knows what he is doing. He knows what he is saying. He knows who he believes in. And he's, he, he asks the question that you and I are thinking. He predicts the question you and I are thinking. He says, what about those who don't know? Those who have not heard? This is where he turns our last section. First, we saw gospel denial. Then we saw gospel truth. The third section is gospel appeal. Believe the word of Christ. Verses 14 and 15, we get a mini sermon in four questions. That mean, do you mean we could have just had a sermon? With, don't ask that question. <laughs> Paul has labored for nine chapters outlining for us the sinfulness of man and the sufficiency of Christ. He has shown us that believing in Christ results in righteousness. And he has told us that if we believe in Christ, we will not be put to shame. We have heard the good news. And he begins to tell us that he was called as a servant to speak about God, to talk about the gospel of God. He's talked about how the gospels radically changed him. He believes Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. But not all believe. This is the problem. This is what causes him to write with fire in his bones. This is what causes him to ask the questions. These aren't rhetorical questions for us to say, oh, that's interesting. These are questions that lead to action. These are questions that have eternal consequences. So let's ask the questions. Paul writes, how then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And, can, and how can they preach unless they are sent? You can hear the logical progression throughout the questions. And let me assure you, these are not just questions for preachers. These are questions for all believers so that the nations might hear of Jesus. Paul's argument and his persuasion is seen more vividly when we put his six verbs in the opposite order. Christ sends heralds. Heralds preach. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call. And those who call are saved. This is good news. We need to obey. As I, as I read this, as I studied this, I was like, this is a missions sermon. This is a missions passage. I thought about sharing the stories of many, many missionaries. But instead, I'm going to share the story of one missionary and one personal story that impacted me and our family when we were in Canada. So first, a missionary story you've probably heard before, but it's worth repeating. You've probably heard the name Adoniram Judson. I highly recommend the book To the Golden Shore. If you've not read it before, it is just amazing. He and his first wife were among the first missionaries sent in American history. Judson experienced extreme heartache through sickness, the death of multiple wives, the death of his children, and much extreme suffering. But God used that suffering to advance the gospel. 
Judson lived 40 years in Burma, now the nation of Myanmar, doing ministry. He translated the scriptures. He proclaimed the gospel. He wrote numerous booklets outlining the good news of Jesus Christ. Much of his work is still alive today. But at one point, Judson was criticized, and this was the criticism. He's only speaking of the gospel. This Judson man, he only speaks of the gospel. Someone wondered why someone who had traveled from far away would not speak on anything else. Judson was a bit surprised of this criticism, to which he replied, I gave them the most thrilling story that can be conceived of, the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love. This is why it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We bring this good news near and far because it's the news that saves. Now to my second story. This is a personal story. As many of you know, Sheena and I lived in Canada and our family, we lived there for four years. We were in Nova Scotia for a bit, for six months, then on to Newfoundland for three and a half years. And God blessed our ministry as we sought to be faithful in our church planting efforts. But one of the things that was surprising during our time in St. John's, Newfoundland, um, wasn't the icebergs, but it was ministering to a number of Chinese students. These Chinese students were connected with the local university, and one of the students' name was Wu Zhang. Wu was quite the student. I asked if I could share this story with him. He said, uh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Wu was quite the student. He was very bright. He had many questions about God, questions about God as the creator, questions about God's plan for humanity. And as my ministry partner, Adam, and I shared the gospel with him, he understood, he believed, and he was baptized. But as he believed the gospel, he was saddened that the gospel had not penetrated many parts of China. In fact, he thought about his grandfather, who was a communist, and had not heard of Jesus. I can still see his face. He said, what about him? He does not know, he has never heard of Jesus Christ. Can we pray? Can we pray for the gospel to go to these parts of China? Yeah, we can pray. Let's do that right now. So we prayed. And then recently, um, we had a FaceTime call. Wu and I hadn't talked in many years. I wanted to make sure I remembered the story correctly. And he said, yeah, that, that's correct. But he said, I don't know if you heard, I don't know if you know the update, but my grandfather passed. I don't know his eternal state. I don't know if he believed in Christ. But my parents, they heard and they believed and they're Christians to this day. So thank you for sharing the gospel to me. So we pray, we go, we bring the good news to those who have never heard. So as we hear the message of Romans 10, the first priority is belief. We believe the gospel message. But not only do we believe the gospel, we go with the gospel message. We take the gospel to the nations like China, like India, like Uganda, like many other countries. But not only don't hear this message as a out there message, we must go out there, we must go on a plane. It's not just an out there message, but it's across the street message to our neighbors and to our neighborhoods as well. 
into one of the most overlooked mission fields, our families. It reminds me of when Dr. Rob Reno was here several weeks ago, and he spoke about the importance of reaching our children and our grandchildren with the message of Christ. He said they're not hearing the message, so we must take it to them. I love his three-pronged outlook on the Great Commission. You, your kids, and the world. The gospel impacts us, our families, and the world. This is the gospel appeal. This is Paul's appeal. This is my appeal. This is South Shore's appeal. Believe in the word of Christ. Believe in the person of Christ, the Savior of the world. So I make my appeal. Turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. Treasure Christ today. This is why evangelism is needed. But evangelism is not popular, sometimes even within the church, and it's not emphasized because we don't understand the urgency of eternity. Someone said to me recently, Pastor Steve, I, I get nervous and sometimes I'm just afraid I'm not going to have the answers. Join the club. I don't have the answers. You know, many times I say, I'll get back to you. Uh, that's a great question. Let's pray about that. So evangelism is necessary because until people hear and receive the gospel, they're lost. And it must be clear who Jesus is as we speak of him. We don't offer Jesus the life coach, Jesus the success guru, or Jesus the genie who only disp dispenses gifts and giggles. You and I must proclaim Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Jesus, the unique Son of God. Jesus, who is co-equal with the Father. Jesus, who brings us peace and reconciles us to Him. This is why Paul prays. This is why Paul pleads. This was his word in 2 Corinthians. We beg you, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why the begging? Why the pleading? Because he knows who Christ is. So if we know who Christ is, if he's changed our lives, we will, do begging, we will be begging and pleading as well. We know Christ has come. We know Jesus saves. But not all find this to be the case. Some still question, some still resist. Let's look at the last section, verses 16 through 21, and we read of the resistance. Not all obey the gospel. The Jews have rejected the gospel, but this is not new. Moses spoke of this. Isaiah prophesied of their rejection. Now Paul points to this truth again. And Paul reminds us yet again, faith is connected to Christ. He asks a rhetorical question in verse 18, then he answers his own question, and he says the gospel was made known far and wide. So he says the Jews knew. The Jews had opportunity. And some said, well, maybe they didn't understand. That's his last question, verse 19. And he answers his question by quoting from the Old Testament again through the words of Moses, and in essence he says the Jews were without excuse. They've heard They've understood, but they reject the message. So Paul gives this conclusion about Israel in the last few verses. 
God has revealed himself in multiple ways. He showed his grace to Israel and he continually invited Israel to return to him. And yet, Israel was obstinate, defiant, and disobedient. And so as we'll see as Romans continues, the gospel is going to go out. It's going to continue to go out to other nations, to other people, so that Jews and Gentiles might believe and follow. So how do we respond to this example of Israel? How do we respond to Paul's message? How do we respond to God today? Well, first, again, you've heard the word believe. We believe in God. We take him at his word by following Christ. And also, we proclaim Christ. You're going to know, you know so many different people I'll never meet. Friends, neighbors. You're going to go to so many places that I'll never go. So we go with the gospel. We respond by proclaiming Christ. There's so many, so many verses in this chapter you've heard maybe a sermon on. There's so many verses, like verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. These are like verses that are on a bumper sticker or maybe on your refrigerator. These are great verses. But I want to emphasize verses 11 and 12 as we close. They get overlooked sometimes. The scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there's no distinction, we don't understand the weight of this verse. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. He blesses all who call on him. My family and I enjoy listening to musical artist Toby Mack. And he had this to say after the passing of his son, a tragedy, the passing of his son in 2019. Toby Mack had this to say. He said, my wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some some sort of under-the-table deal with him, like, we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and valleys, and he is beautiful above all things. Indeed, he is beautiful, and that's why we believe, and that's why we go, and that's why we treasure Jesus Christ as Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word that has come to us. Lord, help us to believe it, to receive it, to proclaim it, to take it to the, those who are on our street, those who are family members, who maybe, maybe have faced suffering, maybe have questions, maybe have doubts. Lord, help us to walk with them in gentleness. Help, help us to walk with them in love. But Lord, help us not to withhold the truth from them. As we walk, we also speak. And so Lord, help us to speak of this good news. Paul made his appeal, be reconciled to God. So Lord, we thank you that we are reconciled, that we are saved, and that we are changed. So Lord, take us as your people, as instruments in your hands to do your will. We ask all this in Jesus' name.